0: Halloween was always a a big deal for us growing up. And I know, like, you talk about Halloween, and some Christians are like, oh, no, 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 no. It's harvest, where you you still dress up in costumes, and you still carve pumpkins, and you still bob for apples. The only difference is, instead of trick-or-treating at people's houses, you trick-or-treat in the trunks of people's cars, Well, Halloween was always a big thing growing up, and it wasn't because of, you know, the ghouls and the goblins and the witches and the werewolves. It was because my mom would hand make our costumes, and these were planned months out in advance. So maybe I was like a fighter pilot one year and she would make a jumpsuit with patches and a, an F-14 pilot lived down the street. And so he let me borrow his helmet. And it was this amazing costume. Or uh, I was Davy Crockett one year, complete with a coonskin cap and leather fringes on the side of the pants. It was, it was, it was something special. But then like seventh grade, junior high rolls around and it became more of a DIY, do it yourself before school, come up with whatever you can to put together your Halloween costume. And uh, so I remember seventh grade being in the garage, October 31st, Y2K, trying to put together some sort of Halloween costume. I find a, a broken broomstick uh, some old snow gloves, a ratty t-shirt, a beanie, and some dark sunglasses. I'm like, all right, perfect, this will work. And, you know, in seventh grade, I didn't really have an eye for moral and ethical insensitivity. You know, the insensitivity that would, that would go into being a blind beggar for Halloween. Halloween. So I don this whole costume, and I walk into first-period class, homeroom, (laughs) Mr. Myers Algebra 1. I haven't used it ever since, but he's the type of teacher who would walk around and hand-deliver the results to your exam. And he would start with the A's. Here's all the A grades. And he would walk around and, and hand back the A grades, and he'd say things like, stellar and outstanding And then he would hand out the B grades and say, nicely done, or or good work. And then the rest of us would sit there awaiting. He would walk around and and he would hand back our papers, but upside down on the desk, (laughs) as not to shame us, apparently. And you flip them over and it's all full of X's everywhere and, and a nice uplifting note at the very top, like, I expected better of you. October 31st, Y2K. I knock and feel my way into the classroom. First period, homeroom, Mr. Myers' Algebra One class, and uh, and he's all smiles. He's laughing at all the costumes of everyone walking in. The you know the ghouls and goblins, the witches and werewolves, and uh, here I am, this blind beggar walking in through the classroom, and uh, his eyes meet mine underneath the dark sunglasses. And his face just drops. And I'm like, is it me or is it someone behind me that he's looking at? Because this just got awkward. What made it even more awkward is that he himself was dressed up as like a monk or something. I thought he was a Jedi until he said he was St. Francis of Assisi, (laughs) some religious figure. I'm like, oh, great, this is even better. So I sit down at my desk, and to make matters even more awkward, we have to go around and tell everyone what we dressed up as. I'm sweating buckets waiting for my turn. But then uh, as people are going around, he's saying things like, stellar, outstanding, nicely done, great work on your costume. And then comes Austin Powers and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and then it's finally my turn. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I'm, uh... I'm a blind beggar. Silence. His face drops. He shakes his head. And my gut just drops. I feel hot and sweaty. I feel like everyone's eyes are on me like daggers. I wanted to be anywhere but there. Anywhere but there. But my uh, third period as a As the day went on, my my condition as a blind man miraculously transformed. I lost the broomstick by third period, threw it in the trash can, and by lunchtime I had lost the ratty T-shirt, and I had miraculously become, by lunchtime, a snowboarder. (laughs) It's miraculous two-stage healing. Today, as we continue our Miracle Sermon series, we're going to venture to Bethsaida, a Gentile, that means predominantly Jewish town, on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. We're going to meet a man whose everyday reality is far, far worse than my 7th grade blind beggar Halloween costume. His situation is dire. He lacks the ability and the wherewithal to survive. But we'll see Jesus enter the scene. And, well, let's see. But before we do, I do come bearing gifts. I got everyone a gift today, you know, out of the generosity of my heart. Jim and Teresa are going to be handing these out for everyone. And we've also got Susie outside. She's going to be handing out—they're going to be handing out sleep masks. So, uh, you know, if you get sleepy at any point during the sermon— just put those on and, and feel free to nod off. No, no. This is not the sleep shop where we'll beat anyone's advertised price. Or your mattresses. You guys watch a lot of TV. <laughs> no, we're going to be doing some experiential learning today. We're going to see the story through the eyes of a blind man, the blind man of Bethsaida. So go ahead and put those on. Go ahead and put them on. They're, they're brand new. They haven't been worn. They're wrapped in plastic. Put them on if you want to be a cool participant. If you don't, if you're too cool for this, whatever. Um, but uh, it, it may be kind of crazy, right? Like you did not expect this. Some of you guys are ready to leave. You're ready to just get out the door. This is weird. I don't want to be a part of this. Just... Just hang. Just stay here for a moment. This is experiential learning. I mean, as you put them on, don't worry. No one's going to steal your stuff. No one is going to sneak up on you. But hey, maybe they will. Because that just goes with the territory, the vulnerability of being blind. Caveat, I will say our safety and security team, they will, for the entire duration of the service, have their eyes unmasked just to set your mind at ease as well. So as you put them on, I don't know what color you got. Just leave them on. Don't take them off. Don't take them off. Put them on if you feel, if you want to be cool and participate. As you put those on, just think about it. Think about being blind. I'll tell you later on to take them off. You don't have to leave them on the whole entire time, but think about it. Being blind, being sightless. Everything's dark, or orange if you got an orange one, but you can't see. And I mean, as you're blind now for this moment, maybe it feels like the noises are a lot bigger around you. There's like this spatial awareness. It just feels huge and even haunting, like a a constant threat, dangerous. And unknown. So let's try something. Fully blind now. Go ahead and take your time and be careful and stand. We're going to read from our memory verse today. Take your time, it's easy. Feel around, easy does it, and hear the words of Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven, "'I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me?' And no, no, God, nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too great for you. You are worthy, you are mighty, you are incredible. You have done all things and deserve all praise throughout all generations.'" And today we come before you to hear from you, to experience you, to take part in what you are doing in our lives, in our community, in our world. And so many times, Lord, it's like we don't know what's going on. Everything is crazy and upside down. But God, you're still with us, and you're still working. And the crazy part is you choose to work through us. And I thank you, Lord. I thank you for the ability that you give us to live this day. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready. We want to receive from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. Now carefully, leave them on, leave them on. Don't cheat carefully, slowly, easy does it. Go ahead and grab a seat. Feel it around. You can, be, you can be seated. All right, good. I think no injuries. Good. We can put the stretcher away. Mark 8, verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, I imagine they've just stepped out of the boat. The small waves lap upon the wooden hole and they crash upon the shore of Bethsaida. The name of the place, it means House of Fishing. It's a fairly large Gentile town up ahead, and, and maybe there's the smell of pigs nearby. Peter and Andrew and Philip, these disciples of Jesus, they probably feel right at home because it's where they, it's where they were born. But the talk of the town is how Jesus healed a man who was blind, or who, who, was, who was both deaf and mute. Just last chapter. And so some people, they brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. And there he stands, hunched over, I'm I'm guessing, eyes milky and, and glossed over, his face shaped as if he's always listening, searching for sound, because, well, he is. We know next to nothing about this blind man. How did he develop this condition? Was he born with it? We don't know. Is it like he just can't pass the EFPTOZ, or is that an eye eye test at the optometrist? Or is this like total blackness that he lives in? Maybe he's like a a buddy of mine who's legally blind without his contacts in. (laughs) Even still, he drives by Braille. Had me praying to Jesus on the 405 like never before. What might we see, though, in the text, in the Bible here, in the Gospel of Mark, to understand this man's condition? It says, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. Okay, so we can figure out here that he's got some friends, or at least those who see his need, and it says they brought him. He cannot go on his own. He needs their assistance He's a blind man with, without sight. The curtains are drawn over his eyes. The, the shutters are closed. His world of sight is darkened. He only sees what you are currently seeing no light, no colors, no shapes, no images. Like good luck finding work at the docks, hired on as part of a fishing crew. <laughs> You're dreaming. Now, his survival, it depends on the generosity of others. It says in the text, they, his friends, or these people who brought him, begged. So it must be desperate. They begged him, Jesus, to touch the man and heal him. So they have a faith that somehow Jesus can do something about this man's blindness. I mean, Jesus just did a miracle last chapter with a deaf-mute man. Maybe he can do one with blindness, too. They see this man's need to see, and they see the one who can maybe miraculously make him see. He's a miracle worker, a teacher, a prophet, a peasant named Jesus of Nazareth. And they say in Jesus, they see in Jesus greater abilities than what a miracle worker, teacher, prophet, peasant could do. You know, for in their world, giving sight to the blind is what God does. Verse 23 says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Shoulder to shoulder, I imagine, with Jesus supporting him through each dangerous step. Like one one misstep could mean a a broken ankle or a a torn ligament. and, And so they maneuver down steps through alleyways and around rocks in the road. Since Jesus has to take the blind man by the hand, I think it further indicates the severity of this man's blindness. He's blind as a bat, blinder, actually, without the use of echolocation. He's like you, right here, right now. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to navigate pretty much everything when you can't see. If you don't believe me, uh, just take 90 seconds and try. Try to talk to the people around you. It's okay. I, I don't think they bite. But yeah, like no, stay, stay blind and try and have a conversation with those around you, those in front of you, those beside you. I don't care. Whoever they are, you got to figure it out and answer the question. What do you think is the hardest part about not being able to see? Go ahead. 90 seconds. What do you think is the hardest part about not being able to see? Grow quiet, keep going, keep going. Talk to someone else, find someone else. So I I know for some people it's harder actually to talk to people that you don't know than it is to be blind. Maybe that's a form of blindness in itself. But it's okay if you're introverted, that's okay. You didn't come to church to talk to people. (laughs) Like, why would I have to talk to people at church? Sorry. God is a verbal God, and so sometimes... We might feel the need to be verbal. Jesus, he leads the blind man out of the village. Why? Well, maybe, maybe so Jesus could get to know him personally. Or maybe to avoid publicity. After all, Jesus isn't here for the show. He's here for the kingdom. But this man's willingness, think about it, this man's willingness to be led by Jesus, who knows where, demonstrates a measure of faith on his part. So there's somewhere outside the village, among the rocky hills, the whispering trees, and dry grass. And verse 23b says, "Then spitting on the man's eyes." What the? Then spitting on the man's eyes. Hold still. I'm going to spit real quick on someone's eyes. <laughs> Then spitting on the man's eyes. What the? He laid his hands on him. This is extremely personal and physical and intrusive. I mean, Jesus doesn't ask for permission. No waivers are signed. It's unsanitary, full of germs, with zero regard for personal space. Super unconventional. Super awkward. Like a parent, ugh, licking their thumb. To wipe toothpaste off your cheek. He did something similar with the deaf mute man, too, last chapter. He did something with saliva, but this is like way worse. Like, hold still, bro, let me hockaloogie in your eyes. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him, and Jesus asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. A simple phrase, but imagine that. The blind man, he looked around. Don't take those sleep masks off yet, but yeah, just try and open your eyes beneath them. Because yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Wait, what? He's not? You're saying he's not healed? He's not healed. Like, does Jesus fail here? all-powerful word of God in human flesh, 100% human, 100% divine, son of man and son of God, sinless in nature, born of a virgin, God almighty, prince of peace, king of kings, bread of life, living water, hope of the nations, high priest, the chief cornerstone, Emmanuel, God with us, good shepherd, lamb of God, author and finisher of our faith, the true vine, the lion of Judah, the image of the invisible God, the bright and morning star, the I am, the way, the truth, and the life. You're telling me he fails here? Hmm. Well, the man cannot see clearly. He sees people who look vague and blurred, like trees moving about. What, what's happening here? Well, I guess we know now this man wasn't blind from birth. Like, he knows what trees look like, so he must have suffered some disease or injury or something. I guess we know now there are some tasks too difficult for Jesus. But I I can't even say that with a straight face. Like, come on, bro. Clearly something deeper is going on here. I think it's intentional. Verse 25, then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and his eyes were open. Bada bing, bada boom, done. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. 2020 20 vision, no problem. Go ahead, you can you can have your sight back too. Let's try and see what in the world is going on here. I mean, this is confusing. The first attempt at healing, it provides partial healing, blurry, fuzzy, unclear. And then the second, it's full. It's crystal clear, 2020, eagle eye. So what's up with the two-stage healing? I don't think that Jesus fails here. I don't think there are tasks that are too difficult for Jesus. I don't think this is like a super hard case where it required a double dose of Jesus's healing. I think this is intentional. I think this two-stage healing is symbolic. In the Gospel of Mark, a gospel that is dominated by the Greek word Euthus," which we translate as immediately." It occurs 59 times in the New Testament. Forty-two of those are in the Gospel of Mark. And I wasn't really good at Mr. Meyer's Algebra One class, but you, know, that's like 71 percent. Of the uses of euthus occur in the Gospel of Mark. Immediately. In the Gospel of Mark, a Gospel that is dominated by this Greek word euthus, immediately, it screams to us this scene. It slams on the brakes. It's totally the opposite of immediately. It screams to us, hold up! Something is happening here. It draws our attention. It pulls us in. It reminds us that we aren't just reading a story stuck in the first century. We're also reading a story about us. This is the only miracle in all of Mark's gospel that does not happen immediately. It's not immediate. It happens in stages. Gradually, we might say. You know, kind of like discipleship following and living and becoming more like Jesus. It's kind of like, you know, the spiritual journey. It's kind of like the life of faith. It's not always immediate. It happens in stages gradually, as we might say. Like, sometimes transformation is a process. I think this two-stage healing is actually symbolic, symbolic of discipleship and the spiritual journey and the life of faith, how sometimes transformation is a process. Like the blind man, the disciples, then and now. We come to see, but it happens in stages already, but not yet fully. Like I'm beginning to see more and more, but it's a process unfolding in stages. It's like our little Nora She just turned four months, and and her eyes, I guess, at four months, she's beginning to see more and more. But uh, according to WebMD, she can't yet see color. After birth, I guess, uh, you know, they say she only saw in black and white with shades of gray, 50, I believe, or so. But uh, just now, as it happens in stages, She can see already, but not yet fully. Her color vision is developing. It's not until, I guess, seven to 11 months that they actually develop depth perception. I know some of you guys are still working on that. I've seen you drive. But you see, it's all a process. Stages of development, like discipleship, like the spiritual journey, like the life of faith. Sometimes transformation is a process. And that goes totally against the grain of a, a society that is immediate gratification, instant gratification. I want, I want Amazon delivering drones to my house. Hmm. Sometimes transformation is a process. I, I think of Amazing Grace. You know the, the old tune, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I always had an issue with this song, with the the finality that came with that last line, I was blind, but now I see. At least for me, I need to insert the words, am beginning to. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I am beginning to see. I don't yet fully see. But like the blind man, I am beginning to. I am beginning to. It's like a a process that is unfolding in stages. I I am beginning to see. And since sight was a common metaphor for understanding, well, well, the disciples, they should have seen, they, they should have understood the deaf, mute man from last chapter as a picture of themselves being unable to comprehend what Jesus was saying. And now this blind man also represents their inability to see, understand what Jesus showed them. They're physically seeing. But spiritually, they're far from 2020. They're spiritually blind or or seeing with some blurry fuzziness, but they've got blind spots. Areas where their spiritual sight, their understanding is obstructed. Like take for Peter, for example, just four verses down from our story here. Take Peter. He says to Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. It's a bold declaration, like huge, like, wow, Peter, you said it all. You are the Messiah, Jesus. Huge confession. Peter sees, but not yet clearly, not yet fully. It's merely black and white. Maybe shades of gray in there, but no color vision, fuzzy and blurry. Because if you know the story, (laughs) Peter is about to doubt and deny Jesus three times and then flee. So he sees clearly, or he sees partially, but not yet clearly. He still deals with spiritual blindness. Like the blind man, Peter's spiritual blindness is partly healed. It's partly healed as he recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah Savior, but it's not fully healed until he recognizes the type of Messiah Savior that Jesus will be, a suffering servant, a giver of his own life. This process, this coming to see of the disciples is what occupies the entire Gospel of Mark, and it's this coming to see that should occupy our entire lives today. The process Of a miraculously coming to see. And I don't just mean for like a DMV eye test. But far deeper, far beyond. So then how do we come to see and experience 2020 vision free of spiritual blindness? I think it first begins by recognizing the clear as day reality of who Jesus is. All-powerful, word of God in human flesh, 100% man, 100% divine, son of man, son of God, sinless in nature, born of a virgin, God Almighty, prince of peace, king of kings, bread of life, living water, hope of the nations, high priest, chief cornerstone, Emmanuel, God with us, Good shepherd, Lamb of God, author and finisher of our faith, the true vine, the Lion of Judah, the image of the invisible God, the bright and morning star, the I am, the way, the truth, and the life, and realizing that you cannot understand the Messiah until you understand the crucified Messiah. And you cannot understand the Messiah until you understand the resurrected Messiah because the crucifixion doesn't make sense without the resurrection. And the resurrection doesn't make sense without the crucifixion. And when we begin to see this reality, eyes are open, ears are unstopped, and tongues are let loose. We see the world and ourselves and God entirely new. And it moves us to actually move in discipleship and becoming and following and living for Jesus (laughs) in the spiritual journey, in the life of faith I mean it dramatically shaped Peter's life as he comes to see and not to mention the entire ancient world and 2,000 years of civilization since as well as our lives today this coming to see transformation and boy Don't we need that coming-to-see transformation today? Especially in light of everything going on. And, you know, anything that I say is going to be wrong. (laughs) It's just like that. I mean, it was like that during, during the last two years. Anything that I say is going to be to somebody wrong. So here it goes. Our come-to-see transformation means that we take a staunch position that transcends, goes above political parties, ideologies, opinions, and preferences. And here's what we do. We look for God everywhere. We look for people in need and we actually do something about it. We look for ways of being our most authentic selves. It's terrifying. But it's pretty easy, actually. You just be you. Look for what God might be up to in our lives. Look for how to live according to his word and in light of his promises. Look at our jobs and schools as ministry. You're all in ministry. You realize that? You're all in ministry. These are missions fields for sharing the hope of Jesus. We look at a family as the place where it really counts. It's where it must take root. We look at the church not as a place to go, visit, attend, but a community on mission for Jesus. And you know, if none of that made any sense at all, just do what Jesus said. Come, follow me. And radically do and live for every single thing that Jesus does and says to do. Because I think this coming to see is all about come, follow me. Not a political party. Not a particular ideology or opinion or preference. Come, follow me. The story of a two-stage healing, it closes in verse 26, as Jesus says. It says that Jesus sent him away, saying to the blind man who is now healed, don't go back into the village on your way home. What? I mean, like, why doesn't Jesus have him, like, put up a billboard, set up the loudspeakers, and proclaim this healing to all who might hear? Well, if that were the case... Well, Jesus couldn't freely move about. Traffic jams everywhere, crowds, no thanks. And also, his identity as the Messiah is kept secret until after his death on the cross. You cannot understand the Messiah until you understand the crucified Messiah. Because Jesus isn't here for the show. He's here for the kingdom. In this miracle, Jesus heals a blind man in two stages, halfway and then complete. So, too, Jesus is healing spiritual blindness, and maybe in our lives it's halfway, but it's moving on to be complete. Sometimes transformation is a process. But, you know, maybe there are things that we cling to that are keeping us in the dark. Like we dress up in a garage with a broken broomstick and a pair of snow gloves and a ratty t-shirt, a beanie, and dark sunglasses, and we intentionally continue to live in blindness. Maybe they're addictions or stubborn resistance. You know, the habits and the, the hang-ups that are seeping up into our minds right now the things we don't want anyone else to know about that we truly struggle with. Or we're blinded by selfish entitlement. Have it your way. But you know, that's Burger King, not the Bible. Or we can become bitter and blind with resentment. The things people say and the hurt that they've caused It's like we we can't see a way out. As the saying goes, resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You know, or we just keep to ourselves and bury and bury and bury. Life alone seems easier, but it's emptier, disconnected, and isolated. But Jesus heals so that we may see. And sometimes that's a process of faithfully coming to see. And that's why I think this story is so full of promise. You can always count on Jesus to finish what he started. I'm talking restoration. I'm talking healing. I'm talking wholeness, hope, peace, joy, boldness, courage, you can always count on Jesus to finish what he started. And you know, I, I, love, I love those videos. and I, I don't know if you've ever seen them before, but there's like a, a baby. A baby and uh, months old. Like 7 to 11 months old. I don't know. The, the, the point at where their depth perception is supposed to develop but it hasn't, it hasn't. He's far behind all the benchmarks for sight. He's left in the dust, and the doctor uses like fancy terms to describe what is going on, how everything is fuzzy and everything is out of focus for the baby. He can't see. Maybe he can make out shapes, but there's the depth that he cannot see. The images are not shown properly by his optic nerve. Maybe it's a rare condition. Perhaps it's just genetics. But it produces a whole host of issues for growth and development. But then they take these glasses, oval frames held by a silicone band, and they place them over the baby's head. And then the lens... They fall over his eyes. And he looks straight into his mother's face. And then there's that moment of hesitation. As bright eyes take in. As bright eyes take in an entirely new world. it is, the shock, the recognition the joy, the delight of a smile splitting his face into. everything's new and it melts your heart man, I watched like ten of these and I was like bawling my eyes out mm. everything's new and it melts your heart and I think, I think that's what God feels. I think that's what God feels when we finally come to see. <laughs> Through the spiritual blindness and spiritual blind spots, I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I am beginning to see. So Jesus, thank you for sight. And I ask, Jesus, that you would continue to heal our spiritual sight. Because sometimes it feels that, man, we know more than than anyone that we are walking in darkness. Help us to see the blind spots in our lives, to come to you and ask for healing and wholeness. We want to recognize you in our lives completely. I pray if someone wants spiritual sight for the first time, they want to know who this God is who loves them so tremendously that they would pray, Jesus, would you come into my life? I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, for my blindness, for my wreckage of a life, Lord. But you rose from the grave, defeating death. It has no sting. Come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, help us to see. In Jesus' name, amen.